You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road in Hillsboro, North Carolina. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? All right, we're going we're gonna to do that again just, just because it's cold out, okay? Or rainy or something. We'll come up with some excuse. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? That's, that's so much better. It's, um, it's an echoing place. Um, it is good to be here because we serve a God that loves us and we serve a God that is worthy of worship, right? When we, we listen to a song like that, all I can do it just reminds me that those of us that have a relationship with Christ, um, we should be a rejoicing kind of group. Would you agree? I mean, if, if you just said, okay, God did this for me, and he narrowed it down to just providing salvation. Take away all the other stuff that he could possibly bless you with. Whether it be children, or no children, or time, or a job, all those kind of things. If you took all those pieces away and said, God bless me with the ability to come into his presence free of the penalty of sin, I get that. And I get to, I get to spend eternity with him forever. That's worth it all. Because this life is very temporary. However, we make decisions in this life that affect eternity. We make decisions all the time that have consequences or, or long-lasting long lasting effects on our life. For instance, we, make the, we may make the decision to get married. It changes everything, doesn't it? <laughs> guys, you're a little hesitant. Um, I'll just I'll talk about guys. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, it did. It sure did. Uh, you know, so we, we tossed that out. But then, you know, you may be a, a, a couple that has decided that you're going to have kids. And you know that changes everything. And if you're not sure about that, ask Scott. Right? It changes everything. Scott hadn't slept in a month. So, um, but I'm, I'm glad he's here. So, so if you're, you're like, I didn't get any sleep last night. He probably didn't either. So, so we're in this game together. But all the decisions that we make affect different things. Now, we're in the middle of this series, or getting, we're getting actually toward the end of this series called Tell Someone. Uh, it's a, really a series about us taking the gospel outside the walls of this church to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. And this goes into the, this whole idea of why we exist as a church. We exist to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ who impact the world. So our job as a church, as a church family, as a church body, as leadership, all those kind of things, is to, is to have a group of people that are living out the authentic Christ-like life in a world that needs to know Christ. And because we're willing to live it out, it changes things. It changes the way we view going to the grocery store. It changes the way we buy things. It changes the, how we have conversation uh, in the job market or in, where we work. All those kind of things. It changes what happens in the hallways at school. All those. 
And so we want to have that kind of impact. And so we've been talking about this for, for now four weeks. This is the fifth week. And it's in this, in this series of vision statements that we find the reason that we're even doing this series. It says that one of the vision statement elements is to be the church by equipping and sending believers to engage people in intentional gospel conversations throughout our community and our world. So we're going to be equipping and sending. Get you ready, send you out. That's the idea. Equipping and sending for the reason of having intentional gospel conversations, which means when you walk up to somebody, it's not about a conquest, but it's about saying, hey, I've got some great news that I'd love to share with you. Do you have many? And just asking questions, say, hey, where are you in your relationship to God? How does that, how, do you go to church? Do you, have you thought about eternity? Have you thought about what will happen when you die? You know, starting conversations like that, and they, they get to be an intentional conversation where you get to share your story and what God has done in your life and share scripture that, that says, this is what God did for both you and for me. And so we do that, intentional gospel conversations throughout our community and our world, which means that we not only do it across the globe on a mission trip somewhere where it's, frankly, seriously easy to walk down a dirt street to walk into somebody's home and share with them the gospel because you may never see them again. It's a whole lot harder to do that in the workplace here. But our job is to do both. It's not just over there. It's here, too. In fact, doing it here prepares you for doing it there. And so we have that as our goal, is to be the church in that way. And so in week one, we covered this. We said um, we should care for others. And we looked at Nicodemus and Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and said, if Jesus is willing to care for somebody that ought to know better, and yet had to explain it in great detail what it meant to be born again, then we ought to care for others as well. We can't just blow people off and say, you're not worthy of the gospel, but to actually take the time to share the gospel. We said it's, it's important that we care. The second part of that is the when and where of sharing our faith. And those of you that were here when Pastor Curry shared that, when, when are we supposed to share our faith? Whenever. And where? Wherever. Very good. So whenever and wherever. And so it's not about the, the bounds of inside this building, but it's everywhere we go that we're to be sharing. Then the third week, we looked at um, our personal story. It's a great tool. And you heard Pastor Scott share his story and how God used him and how God used um, a young man that he was around to actually impact his life and change the way he approached this whole idea of the gospel and sharing the gospel and how important it became to him because of something that happened to a friend of his. And then last week, we talked about the idea of sharing with a heart set on God, sensitive to the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Curry was sharing, this whole idea of sharing with gentleness. Now, I thought about bringing the Bible that my mom and my dad had at their house. Now, I told you I grew up Catholic, but in our house, we had the Bible. It was about this thick, 
wheelbarrow to get it out of the house, you know, that kind of, that kind of Bible. But it had all the records, like when somebody was baptized, when somebody's married, all that kind of stuff. But it was the big family Bible. And so it was, it was huge. That's not what you carry around. You'd be massive. I mean, you'd kind of be built, but, but that's not what you carry around. Because the idea is that you don't go around with the gospel and say, hey, I've got something to share with you. Boom. And smack them upside the head. I've got to share the gospel. You don't walk in and say, hey, you're going to hell. And just out of the gate, share that and go, hey, do you have a minute to talk? Um, it's probably not going to happen. But we approach it with gentleness, understanding that people who do not have a relationship with Christ and do not know God are not ready to be beat over the head with the gospel, but they need to be shared the gospel. They need to have that presented to them in a way that would make sense. When we start looking at all these pieces put together, we understand that we have a responsibility to share, with, share the truth in love and gentleness the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ with those that don't know him. We have that responsibility. But it's more than a responsibility. It's a privilege. And we put it in this box, and sometimes we categorize it. We could put it over here in this box. It says, these are the things I have to do. You know, I, you know me. I grew up, and, and part of my growing up was the OCD part of me, so cleaning my room was not a big deal. But for some, cleaning a room is a big deal. It's, it's painful. It means you got to put stuff where it's supposed to go, and, it, and sometimes that hurts. There are a lot of things that we may not want to do. And when the gospel or sharing the gospel becomes one of those pieces that you feel like, I have to. It's really bad. I'm going to tell you that if that's the way you go about sharing the gospel, nobody's going to listen to it. Nobody wants to listen to how painful your life in Christ is. They want to know that you have joy. And so when we sing a song like, all I can do is praise you and, and, and declare who you are, that ought to be our testimony and our faces and all that's about us ought to show that. Now, I will admit, I show up in the office and and Rita can attest to this, and Jen can attest to it, and, and the guys. And so, sometimes I walk in and go, my face is not showing the joy of Christ. My body language doesn't show the joy of Christ all the time. But there's a part of me that says, I want to. And we may not always have those moments where we feel great about who we are and what we're about and what's going on in our life. And our faces and our body language may show something different. But generally speaking, we ought to be exuding the joy of Christ because of our relationship with Him. That ought to be the standard. That ought to be the default for us. When you clear out all the history, that ought to be what's left. So we look at this, and why would I say that? It's because I think Paul kind of had that. If you look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.16, it's up on, the, up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says this, For if I preach the gospel, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
And that's a pretty bold statement because what Paul is saying in this is he's telling the Corinthian church about him and his testimony. He's saying, I preach the gospel and I do it because I'm compelled to. But it's not a compelling like he's being drugged through the mud to share the gospel. He's preaching it under compulsion because of the privilege of preaching the gospel. I am under compulsion because there is such joy in my life that I, I've just got to tell it. Have you ever had one of those things that you just had to tell because it was too good not to tell? I'm sure there are some times that, we, that could be gossip. I just got to tell this. You know, some of those things. But what if it was just a joyous thing? What if it was something that kind of bubbled up inside and said, because of Christ living in me, all I can do is, all I can do is tell you. I've got to tell you. I am under compulsion to share with you. It's not a burden. And the way Paul puts it, he says, woe is me if I don't do it. Well, that whole idea of woe means that there's something bad that's going to happen if I don't. And his point is, I'm not going to lose my salvation. That's not the point. I hold such a privilege in knowing the gospel and the mystery of the gospel that I have to preach it. And I would feel so awful if I did not share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. That, that is what Paul is saying. That word woe is used in the gospels as Jesus is talking to different people. Even in Matthew 23, 13, and it kind of backs up this 1 Corinthians 9, 16. It says, woe to you Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from the people. Paul did not want to be counted in that group. Paul did not want to be counted in the group of people that, that built a wall because of their lifestyle or what they decided or what they were putting on the people did not want to put up the wall that kept people from knowing God. Paul said, I don't want to be there. It is such a joy to know Christ that I want to make sure that wall is gone and I want to share with you with all the passion I have. Paul's under compulsion to share the gospel. In obedience, he shares it because he knows that the gospel is breathtaking. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 1.11. 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. It's a glorious gospel that he's wanting to share. And he's saying, I do it and I've been entrusted this. It's the idea of handing it off with a trust involved. So God gave him a message to share. The second part is, Paul shared because he knew that the gospel was powerful. Romans 1.16 says, For I preach the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Gospel is the power of salvation. So he understood there was a breathtaking part to the gospel, this glorious gospel that, that just just is so much more than any sunset or any seascape we could see, there is a gloriousness about the gospel. Breathtakingness about the gospel that he just had to share. And then the change of life that comes because when you have the gospel, when you respond to it, something changes in your life and you're made a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away and all becomes new. So Paul understood this. So the question is, what is the gospel? 
So the first thing I want us to understand is the gospel is good news. It's good news. You realize that when we say, hey, I want to share with you the gospel, that there are a lot of people that don't understand that. They don't even know what the word gospel means. But if I walked up to you and said, hey, I've got some good news. The Eagles are going to win tonight. Yeah, say, and some of you are ready to throw something in this direction, um, but some not. So, but, it, but if I were to give you that and say, hey, this is good news. But if I, if I came up and said, hey, I've got a gospel to share with you. And they're like, huh? What is that? They may not have any idea. The gospel is, just means it's good news. Got some good news. The unfortunate thing is with good news comes bad news. You've already, you know, which one do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Well, I'll take the bad news first because let's get that out of the way and then I'll take the good news. Well, Romans 3.23 kind of gives us that bad news, doesn't it? It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't hear any exceptions in that. Every single person in this room is under that umbrella. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's very simple. There's bad news, and, and we may even go so far as to categorize sin and say, well, that's not that bad. It's okay. We can get by with that. But that's not where we stand. We stand apart from Christ or pre-Christ, pre-accepting Christ, and having a relationship with God through Him. We stand as an object of wrath. I was listening to a podcast this week. Um, William Vanderblumen does this podcast, and they do searches. And part of his job is to interview candidates for church positions. And I'll, I'll give you an example of how this works. Essentially, a church contacts their company and tells them, we need a minister of or a pastor of. And so what Van, Vanderblumen does is they receive all these resumes, and they start sorting through and look for ones that will match whatever that church desires. It's after a lot of study and all that kind of stuff. But William Vanderblumen is in this conversation with this candidate. And he says, because they, they try to discover the background pieces, and they said, um, do you have any moral failures in your life that we need to know about? And he looked at William Vanderblumen and he said, William, my life is a moral failure. My life is a moral failure. Vanderblumen said, I was taken to school by a 23-year-old. He says, it's exactly right. Every single person, whether it's there or here, is a moral failure. Apart from Christ, we are doomed and destined to hell. There's no other way around it. Sin, it tells, Scripture tells us that we all sin and fall short of glory, the glory of God. And sin is essentially just missing the mark. That's one definition of it. Aiming for something and we just don't hit perfection. The other part of that is crossing the line, stepping over, doing something wrong. And every one of us can be, has been in one of those two categories on multiple times. And so it's not hard for us to understand that we sin. But there are some that say we don't sin. We just mess up. We just don't get it right. 
But Scripture says that we all sin and fall short of God's glory. And if we say that we don't sin, then the truth is not in us, that we are a liar. 1 John 1.8 says that. And he says, how, how, as you look at that, if we say we don't sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we look at that, and then the verse after that says, if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a glorious turn to that. If I, re, if I say I don't sin, then I'm messed up. But if I say I sin, but take it to God and confess, then he cleanses me. It makes me right with him. All I can do is praise him and thank him for that. Yesterday, um, I had the privilege, if you want to call it that, of refereeing some basketball up here. Well, what happened, and I just, well, let me, get, they put a shirt on me. Um, Curry had worn the shirt the game before, but he also blown the same whistle, and so I decided I wasn't going to take the whistle. I didn't want the whistle. I know, it's a germ thing. So, so I didn't, but I had on the shirt. And, and so I ran up and down the court a couple of times trying to keep up with Curtis and, and doing all that. And, and the more I looked, the, uh, the more I realized I'm doing such a terrible job. I just kind of need to go and apologize, not just to Wayne and, and those over at the table, but I need to apologize to Curtis because he's running all over the place blowing the whistle. And I'm like, I couldn't even call anything. I was like, black. And he's like, red, you know, like, missed that one, good. Glad I didn't say it real loud. And so, so I, I just was not a good referee. I was glad it was limited. I was counting, looking at the clock going, man, I hope this is over soon. And uh, because I realized I just wasn't. I was not a good judge because I couldn't see everything. I couldn't see the details. And then it made me think of how much I probably ought to respect those that do referee. Because I realize that I don't do a very good job of judging. But when I look at other referees at different games, and this may happen even tonight, I'll look at those and I'll say, you missed that call. How come you didn't see that? You missed that holding call. You missed that deflated football. Whatever it happens to be. Just saying. I don't know. But I can look at the referee and make a call from off the field somewhere and make that call much better than I can on the field. And I realize I'm not a good judge of, the, of that action, but I'm also not very good at seeing what others are in the middle of. And when I think about God as the perfect judge, realize that he does everything right. And so when he says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, he knows what it means to fall short, but he also knows what it means to have cleansing through himself and through Christ. He understands that. And that's one of the reasons he gave us the law. Galatians talks about it. Galatians 3 says that, that the law was given to us as a tutor. It was given to lead us to Christ. Because God is a righteous judge. It, was, it helped us to understand where we could be made whole and made new. 
See, a works-based salvation is a foolish ambition with no security. Get A works-based salvation is a foolish ambition with no security. If we can earn it, we can lose it. Realize that? You can earn it, you can lose it. We could be never good enough, often enough, to earn even an audience with holy God. And yet sometimes on our own, we expect that we would get eternity with the holy God. And that's not true. God grants that through his grace. He grants it through the gospel, the good news of Christ. I'm going to ask Jason and Sarah to come up um, because we're going to talk a little bit about some things this morning. You're probably wondering why I needed two of these. I was not going to put my feet up. Sit on one and put my feet up, that wouldn't be a good idea. But we're going to talk about what it means to come to Christ. Let's see if I can figure this out. Purple, pardon? On the top? On the bottom. Okay, the other top. I think that one's working. That's good. I'm going to give you another one. Okay, so, so what we're talking about is coming to Christ, how you came to Christ, and what it means to come to Christ, so how that has affected life. There's that one. All right? It's working. It works. It's, it's a good thing when, it, when that happens. <laughs> All right, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to ask you guys a couple of questions. You already know some of the questions, but um, I, I plead the privilege to go beyond the questions if I need to. How's that? That make you more scared. Okay, good. Um, so, Jason, when did you come to know Christ? Uh, September of 2012, so just over five years. Okay. So how did that happen? Uh, I, w- I would be remiss by saying that it wasn't a lifelong process, probably. Um, people that know my story uh, know that my beautiful wife's grandfather, Toby Stone, was a big part of that story. Um, and basically, once we met, every, every chance that Toby had... Um, he shared the gospel with me. We'd be cooking sauce for barbecue, and he'd be like, mm, Jesus made some good sauce. Um, and then he'd look at me, and he'd say, Jason, have you heard about Jesus? And he'd uh, kind of just, it, it didn't matter what we were doing. It was something about Jesus. He married us. Um, he dedicated our kids. Um, had some very strong lessons during those attempts, uh, or those, those times, since I wasn't a believer at that point. Um, and then I watched him as he was coming to pass, and I watched how much the gospel helped him. Um, his nephew would read the Bible and he would stop shaking in his hospice bed. And it just kind of opened up all the questions and all the concerns that I've ever had of my life and what it means. Um, And then the end of it, I was sitting in that pew um, for his service. Uh, Earl was preaching over his friend. And basically, I started crying. I mean, I'm talking about leaking out of every orifice in my face. And my wife finally looks at me and says, what is your problem? She said, it's my grandfather. And I don't know. I just kind of, um, from that point on, I looked at her and I said, I I think we need to start going to church. I don't know. Um, So it was a a little bit after that that um, I actually came to Christ. Okay, good. Good. Sarah? So my story is slightly different. Um, I was blessed to um, be raised as a child in a Christian home with wonderful Christian parents who, over time, continually uh, impressed upon me the the value of Christ and what it means to have Christ in your life. 
Um, so I feel like I did not have one defined, don't, I don't have a date. I don't have one defined date where it occurred. Um, I had some defining moments through my adolescence where I think God made it known to me. And one of them was a quite humorous manner, so I do know God has a, a sense of humor. Um, but mine was more of an evolution, um, and it wasn't one specific moment that, um, that it, you know, the clouds opened up and the uh, um, certain, you know, feeling came upon me. It was, it was more of a growth evolution for me. Um, okay. So I'm going to stay with you for a second. Okay. So how did you know, how did you know you were saved? You're talking about my um, defining moments? <laughs> you could go into that if you'd like. <laughs> um, well, I guess part of it is being raised in um, a Christian home. You learn right away about sin and that sin is a bad thing and that Jesus washes away your sin. So as I grew up, I want to say, you know, you learn that when I was a little girl, as much as I tried to be that perfect little girl... You know, as soon as my brother came in the room, there it went, you know. I love it. If my brother would just go away, I could be that perfect little girl. Um, <laughs> so I learned right away I needed Jesus in my heart. I needed, I needed that salvation from Christ that he would wash my sin away. Um, as I grew up into a teenager and through college, um, I'm... I'll admit there were times in my life where there was a little bit of doubt. You know, is, is God real? Is Christ there? Is, is he the real deal? Um, so there was an incident where a specific request, um, a personal prayer for a um, requested flat tire on a trip um, that was with me and the Lord in the back seat of a race truck dually um, because... I was the only female in the truck, and it was a six-hour drive to this racetrack, and I needed to use the bathroom. So me and Christ got really close, and I said, I need a bathroom or a flat tire. And two minutes later, there went a flat tire. I said, I got it. I'll be in the woods. <laughs> so that God kind of drilled it home for me there. Um, there was another one in college. I'll go ahead and share that. Um, when you get overwhelmed by stresses of life, as a college student, you got to figure out where, where is it God's leading you? What, what's your career path? There were social activities and stresses, and my college dorm room became the social gathering place for all my friends, um, no matter what time of night or day it was. And um, I had five or six critical deadlines due the next day, uh, papers, tests, presentations, and for whatever reason, that particular night, every friend felt like they needed to come and be in my dorm room that night, and I said, I needed to study. Um, probably about midnight, I got rid of everybody and just collapsed in uh, stress and fear and anxiety. Um, what am I going to do? I can't get all these assignments done. Even if I pulled an all-nighter, I can't do it. Um, so sobbing um, and not knowing what to do, I prayed to God. And it just so happened I was taking a New Testament course in college. And 
the first, once I pulled myself together and started to try to work on some of my studies, the first um, line in the workbook of the um, task that I had to do was the first from Matthew 6:34. Today's troubles are enough for today. Tomorrow's troubles will bring their own troubles tomorrow. And you know, even though it was past midnight, so it was today, uh, I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll do what I can do, and you know, address those issues tomorrow. And three or four of the professors that had those deadlines due the next day all deferred them to later on in the week. So that was another kind of defining moment for me that he drilled it home for me. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you trust God in that moment. But for students, don't put off study. <laughs> yeah. Procrastination does not work. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jason, what about you? How did you know? Uh, as I said, so after the whole crying episode um, up here in the front, I, there was a series of just kind of going to church. Um, you know, Brandy kind of, you know, would go anywhere and everywhere. Uh, went and met with a lot of people. Um, sat down with at the time Earl when because he was here, and um, you know, there's scary parts of that. You know, especially as you're older, and you're, you know, Brandy kind of had me a little scared because she told me I had to come up in front, and and it was really just to admit that I was a sinner. Um, but I thought I actually had to confess all my sins. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> one time in 1998, um, you know, like, so that, that was kind of scary to me. Um, and then one day, we're, we're all the way in the back, and uh, basically what ended up happening is I just, you know, the altar call, the invitation, um, I just thought Earl was really astute to know that there was somebody in the audience that needed saving. Um, didn't really know it was a weekly thing. Um, but I sat back there and I looked at Brandon, I'm like, what do I do? Do, do? do I just walk up there or, you know, like, how, how does this happen? And she's like, just go. And I'm like, well, come with me. And like, so she stood over in the corner. Um, but there was a feeling when I got up here to actually admit that I was a sinner and to say that I needed grace. Um, I remember Charlie crying, um, you know, just tears of joy. And it's just, it's something that you don't, I don't know, I guess I did have that moment. I was raised in a Catholic church um, and it was just so different of you can have your own relationship with Christ and that you can develop that. And, and it is challenging, right? I mean, there, there's, it, and it should be, it shouldn't be this. I mean, it's easy to come stand up here in the front, but you've got to ask, especially as an older adult um, coming to Christ, you're going against a lot of the things that you've learned and a lot of the things that in school has been kind of taught to you. And, and you've got to, you know, wrestle with that. You've got to struggle with it. Um, but it's the most rewarding thing you know, that you could ever do in your life. Okay. I kind of skipped to the next question, but that's okay. It's okay, because I, I, was, I was getting ready to ask that question. Um, what's one thing you would share about having a relationship with Christ? Just that it's worth it. It's not easy, but it's, as I said, it's easy to come up here to the front or to talk to somebody, but you will have struggles. You will wrestle with questions. Um, men's group, I think they, they know that, because when I sit there, I'm like, wait a minute, guys. <laughs> Hold on. This doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I'd say that, and I'd say it's okay to be new in your faith. Um, it's okay to, to, to have those questions. Um, you know, you walk into a church as a Catholic, we don't raise hands. Um, you know, so I will admit, though, that there's a couple times that I find myself just doing a little hand. Um, <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's a developing process, and you just got to start somewhere. So ask somebody, talk to somebody. Um, and for everybody else that's in the audience that's already a believer, um, I would say be Toby 
Um, you know, this is Jesus' sauce. As you're raking leaves, as you're cutting branches, as you're doing Christmas, whatever it is, there are those people. And it took me probably about seven years of him just like poking the bear, so to speak, um, for me to realize it's not just the old man talking to me about Jesus again, that he was really trying to save my life. So, Very good. Sarah, how about you? For, yeah, for me, um, the relationship with Christ uh, provides a sense of, and I heard this on the radio actually a couple weeks ago, so it's interesting that you ask me this. Um, and I've never really been able to put it into a couple short words, but I felt like this was the case for me. It provides relaxed confidence in every area of life. Um, so in that time in college when I was stressed and fearful anxiety, you know, God said, I got this. You don't have to worry about it. So throughout life, when and there have been plenty of ups and downs, we all have them, um, fears with health situations, job situations with children, um, you start to feel that anxiety and that fear build up and you just have to stop yourself and say the prayer and God says, you know, I got it. You don't have to be fearful or worryful or anxious. Um, so for me, it's that, it's that sense of relaxed confidence in every area that you don't have to worry, he's got it. Now I will say this morning, prayed that when I came up here on stage, it doesn't mean that I don't forget it sometimes. I was a little bit anxious, so I prayed that I didn't, like, actually throw up on stage when I'm trying to tell you that I have relaxed confidence. That is good. <laughs> Ditto. Thank you. Thank you for not throwing up on stage. Ted, Ted thanks you as well. <laughs> so, that's good. Thank you guys for sharing this morning. I, I appreciate it. Um, you guys did awesome. I'll just tell you that up front. And so would you thank them for sharing their stories? Thank you, sir. That's not easy. But it, did you hear some of the things that were in that? That a relationship with Christ brings peace. It brings a confidence. There was a time when you, you realized it needed something beyond what was just happening in life. We seek a, a, for salvation or we seek for that confidence in a lot of different places. The second point for us this morning, we'll, we'll talk about Sarah and Jason in just a, a minute um, as we get toward the end. But it says, Sa salvation is available through Jesus alone. John, that John 14, 6 passage, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You understand that, that Jason and Sarah could have looked someplace else to fill that void in their life, but it was Jesus that filled that, that fulfilled their need. Romans 5, which is a really interesting place to, to go because when you start looking at all the different Romans passages, Romans 5 expresses this whole idea of what happens through Christ. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It did not require us getting our acts together first, and then coming to Christ. That whole idea of let me, let me figure some of this out before I give my life to Christ, that's not the way it works. 
is like trying to drive a car with a wheel off of it. We get stuff backwards. We come to Christ and we allow Christ to work in us and renew us and, and strengthen us and give us all those things that we need that only He can provide. Salvation is available through Jesus alone. And it comes by trusting Him. For by grace you save through faith is the gift of God, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And then salvation brings life. It's transformation. It's that from death to life. That's what Paul understood when he talked about a glorious gospel and the change that comes through that is that it brings a new life. It changes who we are and it changes our citizenship. So says that we are part of the commonwealth of heaven. Essentially it means it's something that is good or an advantage for you to have. Regardless of what your license, your, the license in your wallet or your pocket or your pocketbook, whatever it happens to say, that's not where you reside on a permanent basis. I've had a bunch of different licenses in my wallet. I've had Pennsylvania, Ohio, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, now North Carolina, and none of those changed where I'm going to reside forever. My citizenship is in Christ and in heaven. And those that are apart from that, this is one of those things where you've got to understand that apart from Christ, you are listed on the perishing list. This is what it says in, in 2 Corinthians 4.3. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So those in Christ are destined for hell. And, is, and hell is a self-choice. It is not something that God sends you to. It's a place that you choose to go because you refuse the gift of God. So we say, somebody may come to you and say, well, I don't agree that God would send people to hell. God does not send people to hell. God offers salvation through Christ. That person chooses hell by not going to God, not receiving his gift. So salvation is available through Jesus alone. Salvation is a matter of faith. It's about agreeing with God about our sin, coming before Him and asking for forgiveness. And saying, God, will you take on my sin and give me the promise of eternal life through the gift of your Son? And then trusting Him with all that we are as we surrender our life to Him. So if the goal is to tell someone, how do we understand some, who that someone is? Well, our culture, this is the third part of this, our culture is an ocean of unbelief. You just look at the statistics, the nuns, those with no church affiliation, 25 years ago or 24 years ago from this survey, 8.1% said they had no church affiliation. In 2014, 43%, and you know it's higher. No affiliation at all. So is it any wonder why we say, I have a gospel that I want to share with you. They're going, huh? Or let me tell you about Jesus. Who is that? No idea. And so all the words that we would put in our Christian vocabulary, we've got to kind of rethink those and say, if I have no church background at all, what would I understand? And so we share the gospel 
not just our story in that, but be really careful about how we share the gospel. Cannot assume that people know about Jonah and Moses and Samson, although they may catch a movie clip at this point, but they don't know the story. They don't know about Jesus. They don't know about Paul. They don't know about any of that. And so when you come at them telling, telling a particular story, they may not understand at all. And so we have to be very deliberate and intentional about how we share. The world is changing in such a way that it's becoming more hostile to, to believers and churches. And what's going to happen is what you're going to see, and we talked about this a bunch of years ago, is that those that have a relationship with Christ, that are dedicated and committed to Christ, will live out their Christian faith under persecution, and those that are playing the game will fall by the wayside because it's too great a sacrifice. To follow Christ is too hard. You'll start to see the separation take place. You see it with boldness on maybe even the other side of the argument from those that don't know Christ, being very bold about, we hate church. We don't even like Christians. We got to take that out of schools. We got to take it out of everywhere. Let's wipe it off the face of the earth. And so you see that hostile side, and then you see others. They're saying, I'm willing to be persecuted for my faith because I believe Jesus is the only answer. And that gap becomes wider. And so we as the church have to be more intentional about sharing. Paul understood that in Acts 17 when he was in Athens. He said, now while Paul, this this reads, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. Look around. Paul stood in the midst of the Aragopolis and said, men of Athens, I observe you are very religious in all respects. We live in a very spiritual society that does not know God. And so he said, it says this, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Let me clarify. Where you're seeking a relationship with God everywhere else, let me clarify where a relationship with God takes place takes place through the gospel, takes place through the good news of Jesus Christ. So you may be in here this morning and go, I, I have this gut feeling on the inside of me that I don't have a relationship with Christ. I want to tell you, I believe that's the Holy Spirit working in your life, telling you that you don't have everything settled with an almighty God. And so this morning, you may need to come forward Like Jason talked about, come down to the front. We're obviously not going to hand you a microphone and say, start confessing. But it's going to be coming forward saying, I need God. I'm separated from Him and I need Him and I want to turn my life over to Him and receive the gift of Jesus, receive the gift of salvation. That's what I want to do this morning. You may be in here and, and you may be one of those that I know God, but I need to be compelled like Paul was to share the gospel with those around me. Last last week, you were given a card and said, you may have had somebody's name on it, and this, I want to be bolder. Sarah wrote that on her card. And then when I sent an email and talked to her, she said, I didn't plan on being bold that quick. (laughs) 
chances of us doing this again next week are slim. But, but I want to tell you that we have to, have, we have to be compelled to share the gospel. We have to see the breathtaking beauty of the gospel and realize that it has the power to change lives, and we are responsible with that. And so those of you that know Christ, are you compelled? Do you understand what the gospel is? That saving piece of someone's life that gives them a new lease on life, a new place for eternity. I want to ask that if you are in this place and you know Christ, that you may want to come and pray for those that don't. You may want to come and lift up by name a single person, or you may say, just in my office, open, open up an opportunity for me to share. I'm going to ask that you would come down front, not to stay where you're at. So two pieces to the invitation this morning. If you don't know Christ, come forward and say, I need to know Christ. Secondly, if you have somebody that you're burdened for and it comes to mind or just in general and you want to pray for them, you come as well. But do not allow this hour and the comfort of a seat or the comfort of a place to prevent you from doing what God's asked you to do. The gospel is too important. It's too big. It's too beautiful. It's too powerful for us to sit and push it back. We must be compelled to go with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the beauty of the gospel and the peace and the, the joy that it gives us, for the security that we get through Jesus Christ, that no one can pluck us from your hand once we become your child. And so, Father, I pray that as we, as we respond to your call on our life, whether it's to be just praying about somebody or actually coming to know Christ for the first time today, Father, I pray that you would move and that you would do it in a way that brings you glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.